The Talk and Golf Network is proudly supported by the Golf Society. Shop designer golf apparel, shoes and accessories from the world's most exclusive and best golf brands. Online at www.thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash talk and golf. I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrews, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever as long as, as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. This is Connor T. Lewis of the Talking Golf History Podcast and the founder of the Society of Golf Historians. Today we're talking with Ron Force, master golf course architect, restoration expert, who's overseen restorations of Tillinghast, Flynn, Langford Moreau. Allison and Donald Ross. Thank you for coming on. Thanks. It's great to be here. You know, Ron, when you get into the idea of, of restoring a historic course, what are the things that you look for? I mean, we're talking about data. We're looking at photographs. What do you need to pull off a great restoration? Yeah, the, the number one... Okay, if we're looking at documentation, historic documentation, the number one, in our opinion, most valuable thing is aerial photography from the past. And the US, USDA had photographs taken between 30, 1936 and 38 mostly, and we've relied on those. There's uh, historicaerials.com, other places like that, and even some clubs have their own sometimes, which are very helpful. Sometimes they're the best. But those are the, those are the starting point. And we take those and we get out on the golf course and walk every yard side to side, and get out there and compare the aerial photograph to what's there now. And first of all, we determine how authentic is it? You know, what have they got left? What has been changed? How has it been changed? Many times we hope that it's been, if they covered bunkers and changed things, that it was done in-house. So it usually means we can find them easy enough because it wasn't done very well. You know, there's because of lack of resources and maybe expertise and grading. You know, but if a contractor has done, has been in there and changed, it's a lot harder to discern what used to be there. Taking the aerial view, and then getting to the eye level and walking the course, you got to be able to interpolate. You know, what's there in the aerial, and then what's you know what what you see in uh, at the eye level, and you can very often tell what's machine made by a dozer and what was done in the classic era of golf courses, uh, what was done by hand. So our primary and most important document is an aerial photo, but we have to be able to take those, walk the golf course, and, and compare what we see in aerial to what we see on the eye level and the ground level. You can tell most of the time, vast majority of the time, what has been changed, what has been covered over, and what's still there. We strive to make a good determination uh, of what is the authentic golf course there. Then 
we step back from that and say, okay, how relevant is that for how people play golf today? Because things have changed an awful lot with equipment and turf grooming. It's, it's not just equipment, but it's turf grooming practices too. Speed of greens, et cetera. And, and, we, look, and we look at and try to uh, see what is the architect's design intent, the original architect's design intent, and then start restoring, bringing restorative ideas that are relevant to the way the golf ball goes today and relevant for maintenance practices. Our goal is to discern the architect's original design intent and make that golf course play relevant for today. Gotcha. How often do you come across scenarios where you're doing a restoration and you don't have those aerials? Yeah, it, uh, it happens. It doesn't happen that often. You usually can find something out there. We've, we have a whole stack of aerial photos. It, it really, it really it doesn't happen that much. So that's when you got to rely on your knowledge of that particular architect. And we've studied, you know, architects across the board and even taught seminars on those different architects. And you get out and look at the land and see what is authentic and what has been changed. Yeah. That, that's, you're, you're left with that. And would it be fair to say the Country Club of Orlando, was that down that same path? Or did you have aerials there? That, th- there were aerials, but they were irrelevant. Right. Routing had changed. Yeah. And... The style of the golf course was, um, n- there was nothing to imitate or, or carry on with. So it was a total recreation, a total reimagining, in addition to a total reconstruction. You know, everything was rebuilt, all new drainage, all new irrigation, every green, every tee, every bunker, every, everything, every mound. It was all basically new. It's a new golf course uh, that is on old ground, and we used the uh, concepts, ideas of the best of the Donald Ross, because it's known as a Donald Ross golf course, the best of Donald Ross's green complex ideas and, and, and uh, features, put those in the golf course, and then using great, uh, the cover of Golfton Magazine from 1931, December 31, we saw Seminoles bunkering. And that's, to us, that's quintessential Florida Ross, the best, highest art form, Depression just started. He apparently spent a lot of time there. So we put that in. We took the best of Ross greens, the best of Ross bunkering and mounding, and put it in there where appropriate, where it never existed before. So it's basically a new golf course steeped in the history. And I love that course. I mean, I think I honestly think it's one of, it's probably my favorite flat course. It's a relatively flat course yeah. in the state of Florida, but it has so much imagination to it. The bunkering is fantastic. I think the green complexes are some of the best I've seen in the state of Florida. So what if you could, you know, you're dealing with a scenario where the aerials are junk. You're, you're basically recreating a course in, in the mold of a Donald Ross. So maybe walk me through when you're in doing that, what inspires you? Like, how do you capture Ross? I used a little bit of an example with Seminole, but are you thinking that through on every green and every tee shot? Yeah, yeah, every, especially starting at the greens. We, th- we looked at each golf hole, went through a mental list of the, the, the great golf holes that, you know, the green complexes, uh, such as, like a, it's like a maiden hole at uh, Athens Country Club in Georgia. We took that, all, you know, borrowed that from their fourth hole par five, put on the fifth hole par five at the country of Orlando, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. There was one hole that looked like 
a redan that was out there by another architect. And we modified the ground, spread the green out more, and made a diagonal green in kind of a redan form, very much a redan form, and then double-tiered the green down the middle. And Ross did a number of greens like that, Peninsula Golf and Country Club and San Mateo and other places. So we were picking the best, like, well, there's one that we, was a big modification, Ross did punch bowl greens, way more than people think. He did a number of them, generally earlier in his career. So the ninth hole is a double punch bowl green. It might be my favorite. Favorite hole in Florida. I mean, it might, from a green complex. That's, well, that's really nice to hear. It was, we did that on the fly, and it was like, yeah, we can create something original here. People were scared. Like, we thought you were crazy putting that thing in it, yeah. and we love it. You know, people, you know, had time. They look behind them and make sure nobody's coming. They hit two or three balls, three or four, and try the different angles into the hole location. It's a lot of fun. Where else would you find uh, Ross Punchbowl Greens? Yeah, one that really stands out is the Cockwa Club in Erie, PA, that we worked on a long time ago. And it's an uphill, uphill golf hole with uh, clubhouse above it, set into the hillside. The, the ninth hole at uh, Cohasset, south of Boston, Nice little Ross course, a little bit quirky. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, rather early. We found them in those places. There's, there's other places where they've they popped up, too. Those are the two most prominent ones that come to mind. I, the double punch bowl, though. I mean, I, I, I was one of those guys. I, I played the hole, then went back and played it a couple times, pretending the flag was in the back. I was actually upset the flag wasn't in the back. Yeah. It's just beautiful. It's so well, well imagined. Yeah, and we, we made it so you can run the ball in from the right and kick slope so yeah it worked out great we pushed the envelope yeah i'm not one into labels but if we were to label the country club of orlando you know we've got you know restoration renovation renovation restoration there's all these different labels how would you label that if you had to it's well it was a it was a total redesign a reimagined golf course that all-star ross basically all-star ross features brought into that we pulled them in from other places and gave them the best of Ross. That's, that's fantastic. That's kind of how we characterize yeah. it. Yeah. One of my favorite golf courses in all of the United States, uh, you've played a big part in restoring, and that's Newport Country Club, uh, which, of course, I don't, 125 years this year, yeah. hosted the first U.S. Open and the first U.S. Amateur. And uh, 125 years later, you're in the middle of that restoring that course to what Tilly brought, Tillinghast brought to the table. Maybe walk through a couple stories there, because I, I think you have some fascinating ones. Yeah, that was, uh, well, first of all, you know, working with aerial photos again, we only had a photo about that big to work with, and we could, the Great Hazard area had, had been transformed sometime before Eisenhower was president, because you could see him out there in photos, um, or could have been during his time as well. But in, in that era... They took that and turned it into uh, about 12 flashed bunkers up, like waves high, so you could see the sand. So we had to totally redo it. It's three quarters of an acre. We had to push all the dirt around and put it into the four, you know, bread loaf top mounds that were out there in various sizes. And we took all the sod off that was between those sand splashes, stored it, and then that sod went on the mounds. And it looked like it had ne- the sod the saw was so old and, and just so pure 
It was seamless. It looked like it had never changed since 1923 when he walked off there, October 23. So that that's one of them. Uh, we we put bunkers back in that we found. Um, from the, the aerial? You from, found the from the aerial, aerial, yeah. Such as the outside of the dogleg ninth turn, uh, championship 18. And uh, no, so, yeah, they, they reversed them for that. And then there's a horseshoe bunker out there on the Punchbowl Green 6th. They took half, they filled the outside half of it in. We took it and opened it up again. We could find the old soil in there. So that was archaeology. That's another way you restore a golf course. You know, we like to go with the photos, drawings, but they didn't always build what the drawings show. Sure. And then you could do archaeology and you dig down and find out what was, what yeah, was there. You go through that it. process a little bit, the archaeology piece. Yeah. So you start using the aerial photo as a guide. We knew there was a horseshoe green. So they, we start excavating downward on the outer half of the horseshoe, away from the green. And we, in that particular instance, we dug and dug until we found the old grassy slopes that had just been, soil been pushed over them. And we pulled the sand uh, and the soil off them, pulled the old grass off, wasn't good anymore, of course, and put old saw that we had around the golf course on those faces. And it restored that. So now you hit it way right. You're hitting not only over the, the other part of it, not hitting over the mound, but you're hitting over the other half of the bunker to a punchable green. And so, so those are a couple of stories. We, on the ninth hole, we extended a ditch uh, closer to the carry bunker off the tee. You know, that we just extended that feature. So that's the extension of something that, you know, adding to something that was already there. Yeah. But we've, we've done... Uh, something significant on 13, 13 holes there, the famous reef hole down by the water, the long par three. We put the sand in the first two bunkers, and we had to put the sand lines light. Is that the parallel bunker that runs down the right-hand side? Right side, the first on the right, the first on the left. Huge bunkers. We, I painted the lines on that and got the sand back in so it looked like the way the course had evolved on all the other bunkers on the golf yeah. course. Like when, when you're doing the archaeology piece, when you're digging, I guess there's two questions here. One, do you ever do a dig and not find anything? And the second one is when you find it, how excited do you get? Well, yeah, it's usually the contractor's like, he's the one poking around at that time. Sure. So we, we weren't right there, but we, it was, we were totally psyched. We, yeah, to put it mildly, we were extremely excited to see that and have a part of restoring. You know, telling us did horseshoe bunkers on many of his golf courses, not all. He, he was not typecast. But that was incredibly exciting to have a part in putting something like that. And the great hazard area and the other things that got done out Bringing there. that back. Yeah. And we also had to modify a golf hole, though, the, the 11th. Um, they put a bunker all the way across the green, double-tier green, short par four. We had to reorient the strategy from the right bunker to the left bunker because it was further from the tee. And we aimed the axis of the green at the other bunker, not at the one that was originally done. So we turned it. And we brought into play the further bunker from the tee, which is more relevant for today's clubs and balls. You have, you've done a lot of restoration work. You've done some of the best restoration work up, probably in the country. And a lot of people don't even talk about it. It's amazing. But one of those that is starting to get the light shined upon it is Davenport Country Club, Allison's work. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your work at Davenport Country Club. How did it come about? What work you've done there to bring it to light? Jim Nagel, you know, we really tag teamed on that. When Jim, my associate, has been with me 22 years, 
and uh, we worked very well together. And that was one that was a lot of fun to do together. First of all, we saw the routing that it was. It looks like looked like Tootsie Pops, stick and a ball, stick and a ball, and we saw the topographic mapping. And this was Charles Allison's routing. That's all he had. And I said, I knew this was a great golf course. I could tell by the way he used the land that it was right. fantastic. Got to the course for interviews, and they hired us, and we saw, yes, it is a great golf course. It had been modified. We had to rebuild about five greens. Uh, things had, some things had changed. And we, uh, we got in there with the aerial photography in that, in, in that situation, that instance, was scant. There was hardly any information there. But we knew what had been there for a long time. You could tell by the earthworks and things. Some bunkers had been filled in, but the earthworks were there. Um, some holes, there was bunkers added to the sides of greens. You really need them because the ball is just going to roll down the steep slopes they had. Are you using the, aerials again to help no, identify we, this? We, no, we went hole by hole and discerned what was authentic and had to leave some things in there for playability that had not been in there, such as ball containing bunkers in the steep side of a walk. Walk side. me through that. Walk me through. You're going to be better at this than I am. Obviously, you're you're the train knight. How do you walk the course and discern what is authentic? Like, how do you see that? Okay, the uh, one thing going on there is the third hole is a dog leg right over a pond. And uh, while the tee had changed after they put the tee in, it was still a great, uh, the pond in was still a great hole. We could tell that they were not using the ridge on which he built the fairway. There's a ridge down the fairway, very subtle. We could tell they weren't using it probably because there's too many trees there. And the vistas have been covered because it's too. So there was tree clearing that had to go to make room for the, for the, the proper landing on the flat area. So we saw whether it was a flat area, but it was covered with trees. The slope part of the fairway wasn't as advantageous for hitting into the, into the green. So we knew Allison, is, as is the strategic school of architecture in the classics, he's going to want you to hit the far side of the landing area and to have a level lie. So we could discern that. Um, there was a lot of the bunkers that were still left, but they were just sand. They had evolved with sand flash and edgings up there, so we could work within that. We had to change some of the footprints of bunkers. There's huge bunkers out there, many of them, and we actually had to rebuild portions of well, the, the par five twelfth. We had to rebuild the entire last hundred and seventy-five yards of the golf hole. It was been horrendously changed, and the green was really boring. That Allison did really boring. So we rebuilt it. We actually put more of Allison's, the norm that we saw him do on the rest of the course. We had no idea what happened to 12th Green, why it was so dead flat and boring and uncharacteristic, but the way it was built. So we put Allison back in where it had never been put in there. Mm-hmm. But, but the, um, what we discerned out there was mounds added, hollows cut in front of greens when it was intended to hit along a ridge into the putting surface that had a ridge through it. You know, we could see where the landforms could blend in. So this is the discernment you have to have. We knew another architect came in and carved a, carved a hollow in front to make the hole harder. But we made it more authentic, and it's subtly tricky. I, that's part. That's hard part of your job, too, is it not? I mean, th- I think there are some architects in, let's just say, history, right, 
where they would do a restoration, or maybe it wasn't even a restoration. Restorations are a relatively new uh, form of art now. But they'd come in and they'd want to put their mark on a hole versus pay attention to what the past master intended for that hole. And I'm sure you run into that a lot. Yeah, there was one time somewhere between New York and California and Canada and, and Cuba. Oh, an it's architect, a very small area. Uh, yeah, an architect, an architect, no names, an architect visited his site. And it was a Donald Ross golf course. And he said, well, if Donald Ross is so good, why am I here? You know, oh, wow. So, so it was like, you know, and, and they didn't go over well with the people that had some sensitivity to what they own, you know, but that was the attitude a lot of times. We're going to put our mark. And it's funny, classic architects did it too. At the Creek Club on Long Island, which we studied and played, we'd, Flynn came in and changed the short hole, which was surrounded by a gigantic square bunker. And Flynn put his flashed bunkers all around with walkways between. Yeah. So even the classic architects got a Who's little arguing co- with Flynn? cocky. But you didn't, yeah. He, yeah. Was, he was doing Shinnecock at, this, at the time. And came over and did one hole and changed it to more of his liking. But you can see that. Sonny Hanna country in Western PA was telling us, I was like, but why are these flashed bunkers up on mounds? So Flynn did, a, uh, did a, a renovation plan during the Depression. So you saw even that happening, but it's very egregious what happened in the, sure. you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even in the 90s sometimes. How do you feel about Davenport Country Club? I mean, is that one of yeah. your shining stars? Because it literally yes. went from, uh, unlike Newport Country Club, everybody knows Newport Country right. Club, but Davenport went from relatively unknown to you know, those people who follow golf course architecture are glowing about it. Yeah. How does that make you feel like, how do you grab onto that? Oh, we, well, we're so glad we got to work there. That's one of, Jim and I, that's one of our, our favorite projects. It's fascinating. We talked before about the routing. You could tell it was good. There's some things that had to change. But the, the golf course is so subtly, is so subtly uh, good. And uh, to be able to, take that course up to that level. Actually, maybe the process of what it took, there was 125 guys on the job site the day we started construction there. It, it was, it was a, a fast one fall jobs in, in, job in 2014. And Jim and I were on site. There's 125 guys. They did 25,000 bucks worth of tree clearing in one day. And um, I don't know how, how much of an area that is. But it was, um, they, just, they just went out, opened up the vistas again. We, we, there was a lot of inferior trees. So if, if the question is, how do we feel about it? I mean, we could talk about a number of details, but the overall quality of that golf course is so evident for people that appreciate architecture. And it's not, other than the tumbling, rolling topography and the creeks running through, you know, 10th hole over a ravine, 16 used to be one of the best, 18 by Jerry Tardy of Golf Digest, the 16th hole there. Um, dramatic topography. The green complexes and the slopes of the greens are not overly dramatic, but they're incredibly subtly uh, strategic. And that's what's tough. And they're, re- right. they're really, they're hard to read. They're not like tiers and things like that. It's a different animal than the greens at other places like a Ross course or, or some, you know, bolder Tillinghast greens. They're different. They're very subtle. You know, and there's a whole group of, I kind of see two groups of classic architects. There's the guys that 
there's the guys that downplayed putting greens, the contours like George Thomas and Charles Allison. Mm-hmm. And they had some bold stuff too, especially with Colt. But, but you had guys uh, like that that didn't do a lot of undulation in, in the greens. And later on, Dick Wilson, the more modern era, they, they didn't put a lot into them, but they're still hard to score on. And it almost doesn't make sense, but it's because they're hard to read. They're not evident. There's all kinds of... Those little breaks kill you. Yeah. <laughs> That's, they're heartbreakers because you we, look straight and it's not. You yeah. Know it's not. We love to talk and try to implement a, what we call a continuum of slope change on greens, whereas you go across a green, you go 1%, one and a quarter, one and three quarter, two, two and a half, and maybe up to three. And you move the ball four feet and your break oh. is incredibly different. How much higher you got to put... And that's why... William Flynn, he wasn't big on, on double tiers and swales. He did a few of them here and there. But, you know, his greens are real hard to read because of the continuous slope change, and it gives you a different angle, uh, a different break on the putt. And that's what, that's what Davenport has in it, too. And they're, they're of that group, the more subtle greens. And they're fascinating because they're just as hard to score on as stuff with big, bold contours. What's fascinating about your work is uh, you work with Allison, just working the features, right? It's the, uh, the Harry Colt style of working with the ground. But you've also restored uh, Langford Moreau, where yeah. it's moving a lot of dirt. I mean, they, they, were, they were movers and shakers, specifically that work at Lawsonia Lynx. Talk about, I mean, there's a big difference between restoring and working on Lawsonia Lynx than Davenport Country Club, just from the way those architects worked. Yeah, well, like at Davenport, you know, I had seen Stoke Stoke Poges over in England, and we copied a bunker there on on one of the holes at at uh, at Davenport. There was nothing to do like that at Lawsonia. All the earthworks were there. There wasn't anything to put back in. The course is so pure and so good. Our task was we did a master plan, um, and it's still things to be implemented like putting sand in these hollows that used to be bunkers and aren't uh, they haven't gotten around to that it's a rather low budget operation but uh, we did a lot of tree clearing we took 155 trees out on those great parallel holes on the back nine and they were inferior trees so the bulk of what we actually did on site was being able to get these trees out of there the eighth hole the short the short turn right par four, we got stuff out of the rough. We thought the hole would be too easy. It's not too easy. You can't hit the green well from the rough on the right, you know. Did you get pushback for pulling those trees? Because when you go to a private club and you bring up taking out one tree. Yeah, there was a committee there. You know, the American Baptist Assembly owns it. And there was a committee there we worked with. And it was like, okay, it's time to do this. So there was no pushback. They knew, they understand, they understood what they got. And they had some dedicated people that really spearheaded it but most places just you know have a problem with cutting down trees you know trees and forward tees have been the biggest problems uh, for us to overcome but it's a much lesser problem now because everybody's for so long has been talking about tree removal opening up vistas and the tee at forward thing is big now it's huge and and older male golfers don't have a stigma a, there's no stigma attached to going to a more forward tee. Right. Some places there will be, but I like when Newport's always had the back tees are red. We're here at Bel Air uh, Country Club and the Bellevue Inn, the historic Bellevue Inn from 
1897, I've suggested the same thing. Let's use icons like uh, the railroad, right? Let's use a, a railroad car from 1897 for this tea box. And let's use something else and just use it about the region and then make it more about the story of the club versus what stupid color of teas we play. So you've also worked on some great work with one of my favorite architects that's not talked about a lot, William Flynn. And you've, you've done work at Indian Creek, which is like one of the quiet genius courses out there that not which, a lot of people which have seen. They want, yeah, yeah. which is the way they want it. And then uh, Lancaster, right? And Lancaster, yeah, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jim Nagel handles, handles Lancaster Country Club is going to have the Women's Open in 2024. Jim grew up not that far from there. And Jim, Jim uh, I work on some Flynn, like Lehigh Country Club, and, and you know, we, I was doing the work at Indian Creek, but uh, Jim's really hunkered down on some Flynn stuff in Eastern PA, particularly Lancaster. And he loves the place, and he's rebuilt some greens, and he's, they're constantly planning, constantly ch- changing and updating some things subtly. We've done master plan together, mm-hmm. and, and then Jim, Jim goes and flies with it and does a great job. And um, so it's, it's worthy of couple women's opens in a row. I mean, it's worthy of a men's turn because there's some strong Lancaster for in yeah. Lancaster, strong par fours there. Great variety in the par threes. Just a very, very, yes. Yeah, so Lancaster hosted the 2015 women's, uh, women's open and they're going to host the 2024 women's open. We're still making changes between then and, and uh, between that open and, and the next one. So those changes are, sometimes those changes are brought on by suggestions by the USGA. Are these club suggestions, architect suggestions, or USGA suggestions? Yeah, there's one hole in particular that is a, um, is a par five that became a hard dog leg at the end. It's the 13th hole um, because they sold property. The hole used to keep going straight. How long ago were you talking about selling oh, property? Jim knows the dates on this. He's got all this. It was, the property was sold a Flynn worked there for 26 years. It, I, I'm, I'm not going to venture on that. It's, it's a long time ago. Okay, so it wasn't so, like in the 90s yeah. or anything like so that. So what we yeah, well, so we're, we're tasked with, and, and Jim and I actually worked on this drawing together. Uh, he does almost all the stuff there, but uh, bunkering the left side going up around and, and grouping bunkers in, in the way that we know that he did in other courses. Uh, Shinnecock, some of the groupings of bunkers. You know, you pick up all these cues. We and we keep drawings up and 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 study the nuances and the tendencies of the classic architects, and and work off that. And, you know, we take we're always taking, um, constantly taking ideas that we've seen on one course and moving them to another course of the same architect right. where they where they're applicable. Because in this case, this hole's really changed, so it needs to be quote Flynnized. A lot more than what it is now, because it's been kind of mediocre. You know, some of the you know some of the ideas there. We want to make this whole much better. When we talk about Flynn, what does he have any characteristics in his design that stand out from course to course? Do you see that, or is yeah? Well, one thing is, I think he was a routing genius. There's a lot of guys that are really good in routing. You know, the guys like you know Allison Ross, uh, Tillinghast, these guys, but. Uh, Flynn was a routing genius. He was so good at routing a golf course. Uh, there's, he's, he, I think he's outstanding. He's among the best and of great practitioners. 
all of them. So that stands out first. The other thing is how uh, simplistically strate- or subtly, we used that word before, subtly strategic his golf was. He did a lot with few bunkers. He didn't, but then you get to other courses, there's a million bunkers. <laughs> right. There. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Variety. Yeah. But he would use the land so well and put a bunker in the high ground and let the ball roll down to the green. You carry it, that kind of thing. So some of his golf courses really stand out was, was a, uh, an economy of bunkering, but, but in, incredible features. And the, the subtle, gently rolling uh, beauty, the elegantness of, of his, of his, they weren't quirky. They were smooth and almost bulldozer built look in some cases. That's very characteristic of him, just long, smooth contours on the greens. Almost always flash bunkers, but there, many times there was grass down too, or sometimes. But flash bunkers, groupings of bunkers, or sparses of bunkers, very strategic and very broad and elegant, you know, yeah. in, in, the, in the feature. And very natural. I mean, Wayne Morrison, in the, in the tome that he put out, the, the nature figure, he points that out. That you know they they fit on the land so beautifully, like a Deborah Wemmett was popping up mounds and stuff. And, absolutely, which I love. Yeah. I absolutely love heavily mounted classic courses. But there's this beautiful difference between the classic architects, and Flynn showed this flowing contouring that was just so smooth and just sat on the ground so so nicely. You know, that is the it's the beauty of the golden age, right? It's yeah. not. Um, let's copy what this guy did. It's every single one of them kind of had their own flavor and design, didn't they? Yes. And I, what it fascinates me about the classic era of architects is they all have the same basic things, the uh, ideas. And, and Jeff Shackelford, when we worked at Riviera years ago, Shackelford mentioned this to me and he was absolutely right. Good architecture really boils down to strategy, variety, and naturalness. And we preach that three elements of good golf all the time, wherever we work. And uh, it was, um, they, all the great architects accomplished those three goals and those three characteristics and elements, but they did them in such different ways. They did it their way. Yeah. yeah. There's, you know, the heavily mounded, you know, Somerset Hills, uh, you know, by Tillinghast, early, somewhat early Tillinghast. And the chocolate drops at Bedford Springs, yeah. all the tiny yes. tin that he did in 1912, things like that. And then you get to the broad sweeping stuff like uh, Ridgewood, with kind of flash bunkers that aren't deep, and you know, and and he was, he was a fascinating character. He you couldn't you couldn't typecast him. He was all over the place architecturally, you know. And so you you'd see you know, you can really tell Ross Greens a lot. You, you really can tell he had a lot of patterns of what he did. You can really tell Flynn Greens. McDonald's, Rainer, those are kind of easy. Yeah, and they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're a brilliant copying, of, in principle at least, over and over again. He did not say copying Anthony Piapi. <laughs> <laughs> Inspirational <laughs> holes. <laughs> Sorry, Anthony. I use his Christian name when I have to apologize to him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you've done a lot of the Golden Age, but you've also done... Uh, you've done restoration work for more modern day or that after the golden age, like Dick Wilson, Pine Tree yep. is kind of what I'm getting at. Yep. So it's, it takes yep. a lot of variety to go to 
uh, the golden age of architecture and, and doing some of the great restorations, and then doing one, not so much of this modern era, but the era before in Dick Wilson. Yeah, the mid-century stuff. And, I, and I'll go on record. He was the best. He was clearly the best architect of mid-century America. And mid-century gets a bum rap. Yeah. Right now, right? I mean, it, it's easy to and there's a lot pick of, on it. There's a lot of design that was there's a lot of design that was more strategic and more interesting than what some of the golf nerds, uh, uh, you know, us golf nerds today give credit for. Saucon Valley in the '50s and '60s made you know there was a Redan par three on the Grace Course. There's all kinds of stuff that, and he worked for Flynn. And copied holes from Pine Valley and, and different they had a little Sahara there. And so there there was that kind of stuff going on. But Dick Wilson was overall the best and his courses are more strategic, but they're they are definitely more strategic than a lot of people might think, but they're definitely aerial attack. They're 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 based on the irrigation systems being introduced in the sixties and he had people hitting over bunkers at places that you, you mentioned pine tree and the, most greens, you've got to carry bunkers to get there. And when the greens are hard, there's a lot of bunker play from the rear bunkers. So your work on pine tree, go through a little bit of that. Yeah, what are you, that what are you was, doing at pine tree? Well, How long have you been working on it? First of all, since 1997, oh, 96, wow. okay. yeah. I did a mass plan in 96 and restored, rebuilt every green, every bunker and restored the course because there's these great, uh, using these great photographs that Ben Hogan commissioned oh. in 1962 when it was growing in and just about ready to open and people were already playing it. You could see some palm trees planted. And Why did was, he commission those? Do we know? He, well, Ben Hogan and Sam Snead both paid to join. Hogan set his best flat course yeah. in, in America. And it was, a, it was as flat as this floor cow pasture right and it's a work it's a work of art it's it's just so good every bunker is different every green every hole is is its own distinct golf hole even though there's a lot of dog legs he did do a lot of dog legs that's definitely what he did but he created such variety in building mainly with a bulldozer created such tremendous variety in the structure of the golf holes the shots into them every hole is distinct and uh, so we worked in 97, we, we put all that, using these photographs, a whole stack of these photos, a couple for every hole. And uh, we used those to restore them. And it was, it was tremendous. It, it had undergone some change in the 2000s. Um, they did some other things that we, they didn't ask us to get involved with. But in 2012, we came back and did all the bunkers again at the greens. We're still... Uh, uh, restored them again because they had changed a lot since then and then in 2017 we rebuilt the putting surfaces um because they needed to be they needed to be restored they need to be rebuilt for agronomic reasons first of all but some changes had been made to them areas that had fallen off too steep or been changed so we had to rebuild those and then now we're getting ready to do a mass plan update and address the ferry bunkers, address trees. We we actually want to plant more pine trees there. It's Pine Tree Golf Club, and South Florida has trouble keeping pine trees sure. healthy. So they're out of play. There's nothing in the way. It's nothing like that that anybody should fear. But, yeah. So let me ask you a question. I haven't asked anyone before when it comes to restoration work. If 
if if I had a club that was let's say a hundred years old, not just let's say a hundred years old, and I didn't let anybody touch it, like there were no uh, architects coming in over the past hundred years, how much would the course change on its own, just from play, from time, from wind, from rain? Yeah. You, well, firstly, would it get, change? Yeah. Yeah. You, you would. Your greenside bunkers, especially on the right, would be all heaped up with, a, with a, you know, 40 tons of sand mm-hmm. over the years. The, the, the grasses would have evolved, especially if it's in the south, you know, the way Bermuda just, you know, genetically just overturns itself, turns into old grass. That, that would change, definitely. But just the trees would have, would have, without some of the programs that people went on, you know, they went, you know, we can see how the severe planting at like Rolling Green and other places that, you know, planting happened really early on these old golf courses in the 30s. So aside from that, what would not a whole lot really would change as long as they kept mowing the grasses yeah. properly, but they probably would have shrunken in the fairway widths. And the greens, right? We see that and, from and mowing patterns. Yeah. Shrinking and- Is- how does that happen? You hear about it everywhere, but the shrinking of greens or the shrinking of greens, greens right? Yeah. So is that is that purposeful, or is that just over time? You know, you're mowing and you just like you're cutting corners, or how, well, how does that happen? I think there's two things. Um, in more modern times, when they got to the riding mowers, it was so much quicker. And they, they did a good, they make a good cut, but the triplex mowers, you you started missing all the intricate corners and things. Uh, the, the artwork on the edges of bunkers, you know, the outlines, you start missing that. They, but many times those areas have been lost for a long time as it is, either because of the Depression or World War II, just cutting back. And I know like at Lehigh Country Club in Allentown, PA, which, um, you know, I don't know how many people would agree, but I think they're the best green complexes Flynn ever did. Really? High yeah. praise. And he did them with William Gordon, who also did the Rockefeller Estate and Shinnecock Hills with Flynn. And uh, and I don't know who the construction firm was in a place like Rolling Green, uh, but uh, Flynn spent a lot of time in Lancaster. But there's slight variations in the greens, but I think those particular greens are really, really good. Well, one of the par fives there, sixth hole, we in 93 we were going to regrass the greens restore all the bunkers and uh joe dewish from penn state the the guy who developed all the bent grasses was a consultant he started probing out there and we found on that particular green that par five that the green had been deliberately grown in 25 feet from the rear um, for either the war or the depression and he we found modified soils that were off the green that were the same as in the green yeah so yeah, that's that's that can happen uh, deliberately, but a lot of times it just it's benign uh, mistake. Um, they don't want to scalp the collar, so they inch inward a little bit, and that's what we see. You know, the greens just by mowing, not trying to change the outline of the green, just by not wanting to get in trouble. The guy in the mower for scalping the sure. collar, it we see greens creep in that much quite a bit you know you get three four five inches it happens renovation versus restoration connor's country club let's just call it connor's country club it's been around for a hundred years donald ross course but in a very uninteresting design 
and Connor's Country Club comes to you and says, Ron Force, I want you to restore the course. Do you ever have those conversations about, you know, your course is going to be good if we do a, a restoration, but this might be an opportunity for a renovation. Like, how do you get there? How do you get to... Yeah, well, let's, I mean, let's jump back to Ross for a minute. He did, um, I added up all the courses that, that uh, he was on site and not, and it's about half. Yes, I, I no, know, yeah, that's right. Like Bradley Brad, Klein Brad said the same thing. Number. It's close. It's a different number, but close. And so there's some, like you go to Lake Sunaby, New Hampshire, a really good Ross course. And just north of his Carter Country Club, I've seen the drawings. And that course is essentially, uh, I don't know, I don't want to sound insulting, but it's like what somebody called dog track. It's just hit the ball around here. Ross is never there. There's nothing to restore there. But nearby, Lake Sunapee, with the same architect in the same era, there's plenty to restore, which, and we have. Um, so some courses just <laughs> aren't worthy of that kind of thing. And some courses, it's like they want a whole new thing done there's nothing worthy to to the greens may be good and they're yeah the club just you know our bunkers are beat up tees are in the wrong places and they're crowned by now with all the top you know divot mix absolutely but the greens are okay and we can't afford to rebuild them so what do we do we we, we pick we try to pick a uh, a style well one is like north shore in mequon wisconsin heavy soils uh it was it was a a modern golf course, and um, we said, man, you really ought to rebuild your greens and pop them up a little bit. And I remember distinctly the guy, Mike Stoltz, good friend, you know, good Wisconsin golf associate guy, he, uh, he, um, he says, Ron, would you take the job if we don't rebuild the bunkers? I mean, if we don't rebuild the greens, we keep yeah. them as they are because they don't have the money for it. And I said, I kind of went like this and said, you know what? I'll take the challenge. I'll find a way to make these golf holes interesting. So started looking at photos of Cypress Point, you know, one day. And it's like, so many of these greens are sitting low. Mm-hmm. At one of maybe what some people think is the best course in the whole country. I'm one of them. Arguably, yeah. <laughs> right. Arguably, yeah. And, but there's these mounds that push up and with sand flashed into them like a sand dune. And it's like, yeah, let's go do that at North Shore. And it's like we we modified mounds that have been put in. We we did some really creative stuff out there. It was like this is a blast. I had the shapers just like rough it in, and like yeah, there's a quirk there, and go there. So they've got these cypress type bunkers in Wisconsin. There on is that like the best part there. of your job, right? When, when when let's just say I mean when you do a restoration, you've got a very fine line of what you're doing. You're restoring somebody's work. When you do a renovation. Yeah. Ron Force get ex- gets to come out and play. I, I get excited about the concept and presenting the concept. And then during the construction, you know, there's always some doubts along the way. But during construction, we start getting in our getting in the groove, you know, then oh that green's good and that green works with that green. And this then the total composition of the golf course starts blending. And it's like, and I love getting out there and making bunkers that are distinct from each other. So when and then you start seeing this whole varied this composition of strategy variety and naturalness starting to gel i just get pumped you know i get pumped and i i just go off to the side sometimes just thank god i had the opportunity to do this you know it's just fantastic even on the restoration work you have to feel a great sense of accomplishment of taking something that has been lost a little bit 
and bringing it back. It's like a magic trick. Yeah. Right? Taking yeah. some, you're basically going back in time to show what the course was. Yes. That has to be deeply rewarding. Yeah, it is. Well, let's bring up another example. Salem Country Club. Uh, Please. The green complexes I described, there aren't, I described those as works of art. You know, I, we said it before too about some other, some, some other golf course, but they're just, they are works of art. And we, and there's, there's, there's only 56 bunkers in the whole course. And we had some aerial photography and there was some digging around a little bit to figure things out. Um, some archeology span and we, we, we start getting done with this thing and, when it when it's all done, it's like yeah, we did the right stuff, and we did justice to this great one of best golf courses by one of the best architects. So it's deeply rewarding, and and you know we don't even need people to say they like it, but it's really nice. Yeah. But we know we did. We really know we did the right thing. When a club gives us the opportunity to do the right thing and lets us do it, that's extremely gratifying. Very gratifying. Country over land was like that. They just yeah. let us go. I went to them about one bunker on the 15th hole. Hey, I'm not sure this is far enough in and far enough out. So we asked about it. And, you know, and, you know, other places, uh, Club Pelican Bay in, Na- in Naples, they let us go. You know, they saw the concepts, they accepted it, and they let us go. And, and it's, it's turned out, you know, very well, and everybody's really happy. When you're working on a project, when do you know? Like, can you just look at it and I like, you know, I look at a golf course sometimes and it's just all sand, you know, it's just a sandy dune of waves, green complexes before they've been seeded. When do you know that you got it right? Like, do you know pretty early? Like, you know, way before I would know. If we have a really solidified, a, a well solidified concept. See, we work, at least I personally do. I work from this finished 3D idea and model in our head of what this has got to look like. Mm-hmm. And then we work backwards and everybody, how do we bid that? How do we get the right people on the job to get there? The right, you know, so we want to know who the shapers are. You know, we want to know that we can work with them. And uh, so that's how, you know, we work from the finished product and then get and then go towards that. Right. If that answers your question. No, it does. Yeah. It does. So, you know, as we kind of wrap this up, what if if there's a kid out there right now, maybe he's in high school, maybe he's in college, and he's thinking he wants to be a golf course architect, maybe he's really interested in restorations. What should he be doing right now to ready himself for a career in golf course? Architecture and restoration specifically. Well, what you, you do? yeah, you remind me of a specific thing. Um Couple t- Jim and I had been talking back. He worked. He was working near Lancaster, Pennsylvania, as a landscape architect, and I knew him because we're both West Virginia grads. And he had me down to speak when he was there. So he asked one time about working for me. I said, "You're not ready. You haven't read enough books. You haven't read the books yet. You got to read the great the reprints of all these great books that have you know written in the twenties, yeah. and uh, and something after that. And yeah, that's that's." You've got to get that understanding. And then a lot of people say, go out and get your practical construction, which is very important because you've got to know how to build things realistically. Let's face it. You know, right. the place has got to drain. You have a seven-tier green. It's got to be maintainable. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, you know, and all that. You've you got to understand what a, you know, how it is to mow. 
the break between a double level green, you know, and you know, you can't look like two books, one thick and one thin on a coffee table. You know, you got to have stuff that's realistic. So you gain that through the construction process or working on a construction crew. But you, I think, I think you've really got to know, you've got to know the principles of classic architects they all talked about and get to know the different architects. And that was a lot of why people, we got hired was because we knew those architects. They used to teach seminars on this stuff, the various architects and and also other on construction and renovation. And so you got to know both, you got to know both those things, but uh, you know, you've got to know the nuances of different arc, different architects. Know your history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you break in? Just before we end, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, how did you get? How did you get to where I was you're very at? Very privileged to grow up in West Cole, New Jersey, a great town. And in that town was Mountain Ridge Country Club, which Ron Pritchard has done a huge, great job over the years on that on that course. I was very fond of that, but that place still am. And it was there that I worked on the crew, caddied, and for a little bit before I went off to doing golf club repair and wood i refinished woods in oh the really golf shop. Hey, yeah that's amazing yeah, and i even did the whipping oh yeah back then so anyway my golf architecture dna if you will was was you know inserted in my cranium at, at the time of mountain ridge and i go to other courses in the region great golf course in north jersey all over the place and i say but some of these don't look like i don't see the same quality and it was amazing so i got to have that and i got into uh Went to landscape architecture, West Virginia, graduated. But I went, chose to go up to uh, Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and I worked for a civil engineering company. And Joe Hardy buys eighty-four of eighty-four lumber company buys the Nemecola Woodlands Resort. Yeah. It's got P. Dye courses on it now, and he gave us a chance to just start on that. So we got into working with the Pittsburgh Superintendent Association, um, guys like the Donald Ross Society, and different got breaks. And through that, like Hyannisport on Cape Cod, the first New England. Job. We still work there. I was just there this year, just there this spring doing some other renovations on one hole. So it was, and it was just through, and I got to give huge kudos or thanks to Michael Herdson because when I was with the engineering company, we did something down at a Four Seasons Resort in West Virginia where he was my coach because he was originally working in Nemecola Woodlands. I saw his name there and called him and bugged him. We got together on this. He was an advisor, and I did the design for a 27-hole golf course community that was bogus because it was wetlands that never <laughs> But I took that drawing up to Joe Hardy up on the mountain up above Uniontown and said, hey, uh, uh, can we work with you? Sure. He'll just throw people out and just go, get, you know, go learn to swim. So that was the big start. We got to do some things there in, way back in 87, and it progressed, progressed from there, and just different people knew that we had a passion had a knowledge of the classics and there was renovations along the way too. And, you know, we worked at Westmoreland country club, Dick Wilson got, that was our first Dick Wilson work, mm-hmm. which helped to get pine tree, you know, a decade, almost a decade later, things like that. So as you look back and you're obviously you're still, you're still out there designing and restoring, but as you look back over your career, is there one defining moment that stands out to you is, you know, wow. Um, well, getting to work at Hyannisport one year after Force Design, May of 89, started, 
that was a big thing. Yeah. That was a very big thing. And then when we got to do some other things like Brayburn in 92, you know, it was like the step up and people were Brayburn. trusting Oof. us. Oh, Hardest yeah. U.S. Open in history. Did, yeah. That, well, that's, yeah, that's a, yeah, I, I love that course. Early Ross with the quirks. I love it. And, uh, but there was one moment in Nemecal and Woodlands where the contractor who happened to come up from Florida and a local excavator agreed on the price per square foot, uh, per, per cubic yard to move, move clay, move Pennsylvania clay. And they agreed on it. And I went, bingo, this was the start. You know, that was, that was like, boom, that was like, and, and then we, we got to build some stuff there and, and move on from there. But that, there was like a series of steps, you know, teaching the seminars got us into a lot of places, got us out to Riviera and up into Wisconsin, over to Connecticut and a lot of different places. So, um, yeah, there was there was some big moments. Salem has always been a very special place to us, and uh, we worked, started working there in '94. That was a big, a big thing. Yeah, so still that's to one this of those day. Steps. It was a series of steps, but the 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 initial thing was that thing in Nemecal and you know what up there in the mountain. So, what's the next step? Leads right into that question. What's the next step yeah. for Ron Force Design? Man, the, the the next step is is you know we want to we want to get some some virgin ground. We've done stuff in the early '90s. It was well well received, highly regarded, but that kind of work is has been very scarce. We want to get we want to get out there and do the whole new the whole creation, not necessarily uh, the naturalized minimalist that everybody's doing. I don't mind doing a brand new thing. It's more like a classic Flynn, you know, Ross kind of a melding kind of a thing, you know, something that where it's, it's everything isn't ruddy. And I love that. I absolutely love, I love hitting out of sand, you know, and all that, all the scruffy stuff, you know, in the scrub in Jersey and scrub in Florida. I love all that. But it's, I think there's room for a modern classic that you see in the old aerial photos where the grass was mowed. That kind of thing is real. And that's kind of what the country cover Orlando was. Yes, CCO very much so. extremely satisfying to me. Yeah, I would, I would recommend to anybody who gets the opportunity to get an opportunity to go out and play Country Club of Orlando. I think they'd be shocked with how much they love it. That's how much I really, truly think about that property. And I love Newport and a lot yeah. of the other courses you brought up. But, I mean, there's something about that, knowing that it was sculpted anew with the idea of Donald Ross as kind of a, a an ideal for right. that design. Right. And I don't know. for Like I said, relatively flat course, but it's outstanding. Always yeah, enjoy it. We're going to angles as much as width as we can and, and all that stuff. But that's that's illustrated. But we want to get out onto the virgin ground. And, and we've routed before and, and do more routing. There's one little cool thing we got to do was at Winchester Country Club in Boston. We did a, we restored the whole course, but we also got to do, got to do a new driving range through the granite and a chipping area, bunker, putting green, and a six-hole Wii course. Oh, fun. W-E-E. Yeah. And it's great. It's an hour and 10 minutes, and it's just, it's fun. And, and, and it's just, every hole is different. The topography, it's just a fun, you know, Jim Salonetti keeps putting that up on Instagram and stuff. He goes, best little, best little par three course in the, in, in New England. You know, he, he loves the thing. The superintendent goes out at night and just goes around with his wife an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, that's great. Plays right. It, you know, that, that's, that's a neat little thing. 
And I wouldn't mind someday doing, I know there's some talk about that, but I, um, Mark, uh, who just passed away, who, who did, you know, worked with Gil Hans, Mark um, Parsonen, Mark Parsonen, I met with him in New York City one time and he actually discussed a bunkerless golf course. Because if, if that's, you know, it's tough to not have the white sand contrast. So you've got to really work on your landforms if you do that, to be visual features and not get goofy, where you can't even maintain them. Sure. You can't even mow them. But that, that would be a, that's a, that's a great exercise in creating strategy and, and all the other aspects, but keeping it visual. That would be an interesting exercise. I want to give a special thanks to Ron Force of Force Golf Design and his design partner, Jim Nagel. For more information on their work, I would encourage you to go to their website at www.forcegolfdesign.com. I dedicated our second season of the Talking Golf History podcast to the history of our greatest golf course architects. It is men and women, much like Ron Force and Jim Nagel, that are on the front lines of defending our golf architectural history, restoring the beauty of the strategic lines of charm that our forefathers left us. We play this game on sacred ground, and there are a few amongst us who fight to keep it pure. This podcast was filmed and recorded at the historic Bellevue Inn, built in 1897, along with Florida's oldest golf course, Bel Air Country Club, whose west course will undergo a restoration renovation in 2021. Filmed and recorded at the historic Bellevue Inn and edited at the Scandrilly Lake House at Lauderdale Lakes, Wisconsin, Yours in golf history, this is Madeline, Jackson, Charlotte, Luca, Melina, Zach, Paxton, and Connor T. Lewis. Have a good night.